I'm Jamie. And I'm Beth. Welcome to Thief Steals the Podcast. Well, I steal the podcast. And I steal it back. Okie dokies. Today we are talking about the boiler room job, which is fourth season, episode eight, I think. I'm yes. just realizing I didn't have my notes up. So if that was correct, I am a god and you can't touch me. <laughs> it was correct. I know because I did have my notes up. Oh, I, I was pulling them up as I was talking and hoping I got there in time, but I didn't. So <laughs> Beth, what did you think? Okay, first things first. This scene opens onto this guy who we all know that I don't know his name. The 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 Mako, the blowfish, the, the whatever the you want to call him. The filter fish. Right. It opens onto his like operation. Yeah. My immediate thought was, why does this look like a set from Dexter? Like the the sheet plastic hanging around everything. I was like, who's about to get murdered in here? Like what is what is going on? And then I completely forgot about that because the FBI show up mm-hmm. and it's my favorite boy. <laughs> it's my favorite boy. It's Mick Sweeten. And is that how I say it? Yes. Okay, great. It's Mick Sweeten. And we don't get Taggart. No. But we Taggart do is <laughs> Recovering from a ferret attack. It's <laughs> just so funny. I love, here's the thing. I love when clearly actors were unavailable. Yeah. Or like something happens which meant that a character could not be in an episode that was completely on a production level. Which happened last time. Yeah. We saw Big Sweet because we didn't get Taggart last time either. No. But Taggart last time was teaching Craft Maga at Quantico. Yes. This time he's recovering from a ferret attack. Hilarious. Like I love when this is a tactic Mm -hmm. to be like, oh, why couldn't this character be here? For this insane reason. Wildly improbable. (laughs) That happened off screen. It's so funny. I adore it. Also, did McSweeten, like, get buff? Like, am I going crazy? I feel like he looks different in this episode. I don't necessarily think he looks different, but, like, maybe he's more buff. I was just looking at him, and in my mind, if I imagine McSweeten, I imagine, like, a little guy in, like, an oversized coat. Like, am I doing to McSweeten what Dean does to Cass, which is just be like, he's just a little guy in his big coat, and then he shows up, and you're like, wait a minute, he's not a little guy. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, in my mind, he's just this, like, scrawny little dude. Yeah. But he's not. He's a sweet little guy. Yeah. Because Taggart and McSweden are kind of like Leverage's version of like Ed and Harry. Like. Yeah. Like very vaguely. Like just in terms of vibes. They mm-hmm. Group, mm-hmm. You know. But I do. I, I do love the fact we get McSweden in this episode. Because McSweden wrote Parker a, a haiku. Do we get the haiku? No. That is a tragedy. I know. I, do you know what? This is getting ahead mm-hmm. of our usual format. But yeah. if anyone would like to get in touch with us after this episode. Right. McSween's haiku. What do you think the yeah. haiku was? Mm-hmm. Because I need to know. <laughs> it's an incredible detail. And I love that Parker's like, thanks. Tell him I said hi. Like. Oblivious. Amazing. Iconic. And I also love that Hardison and McSweeten in this episode have like a little cooperative moment. Yeah, they're buddies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like at some point McSweeten is going to learn that Hardison and Parker are together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like he's going to be like, you know what? Fair game. Mm-hmm. You know what? I feel like he's going to be like, respect. Mm. You know? I I just love that we get McSweeten in this episode. And I love that he has one character trait. And that character trait is that he is fully in love with Parker. I know. Like, we don't know anything else really about this man. I'm also obsessed with the fact that, like, did Hardison 
tell him that she was there? Because how the fuck would he know? Mm -hmm. Like, does he just have a haiku ready to go in case he catches wind that she's around? So funny. And I love the way that it ties in so perfectly with the mark being like, she's not FBI. What the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's... They're all grifters and conmen. It's like, oh yeah, sure they are. It's giving Brooklyn Nine-Nine Gina Linetti being like, I'm Serena Williams. Like, that's the vibe. Yeah. It's also giving me back in the gone fishing job. Mm, when yes. you've got Parker and Sophie at the end of the episode and they're like, you know, again, they're like, oh no, they're all grifters and conmen. And everyone's like, no, that's mm-hmm. not how it works. I do love that we get caffeinated Parker this episode. Holy hell. She is something else. That's how my brain feels. Just generally speaking, Parker looked like how my brain feels. (laughs) It was wild to see it on screen. She's, I love the choice that they made in this episode that like, you know, Parker's just like, she's had a day off. She's gone to the chocolate festival. They picked up kind of like a last minute client that they're like, you know, yeah. they're 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 going all in on pretty quick. But they, you know, it's like this wasn't necessarily planned out. So Parker's been at the chocolate festival because she had the day off. She's allowed to. And then they're like, oh, actually, no, we need to go into work. And so she's not there for the briefing. Mm-hmm. She is at the chocolate festival. And Hardison's like, look at the last text she sent me. Oh my god. I no idea what that could possibly be. No, it's like like it's, it sounds German. It's <laughs> it is gibberish, mm-hmm. and he's like, she probably got chocolate all over the tiny buttons, mm-hmm. and that is very valid of him. She definitely got chocolate over the tiny buttons. I love the detail of like, if you look at her white shirt, which by the way, choice for her to wear a white yeah. shirt to a chocolate festival. You can see the finger marks where she's clearly <laughs> like wiped the chocolate off of her hands onto her shoulder. It's giving me Cass in My Bloody Valentine's when he pick up, up <laughs> the heart, and he's like, oh, what do I do with this? <laughs> Yeah. It she's just like she is I love the fact that we then get the scene later on when Hardison gets caught by the mark, um, sort of going through his servers and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's like, No, I'm just so energized from the chocolate festival. There was this uh, like chocolate mocha espresso. Yes. White chocolate mocha espresso that I just could not stop drinking. It's like, it's like Oh we baby. can tell. <laughs> baby girl, we can tell. Like yes. you are my note was, wow, Parker is about a second from hyperventilating. Like <laughs> She is, she's doing the most. Mm. I think Beth Risegraff's acting this episode is absolutely iconic. Yeah, it's great. I think, like, she is bouncing off of the fucking walls. Uh-huh. Like, absolutely bouncing off the walls. I think Hardison says that Parker at a chocolate festival is like sending a cocaine addict to a cocaine convention. A crack addict to a cocaine convention. Yes. And I actually think that's a pretty apt description based on what we see the rest of the episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, holy hell. Mm -hmm. She's, she's excited. She is. And I think I love it. I love the fact that they're like, oh no, Parker's, like Parker's always weird. Mm. But Parker this week gets to be weird and hyperactive. And I love to see it. I also love seeing Nate and Sophie put on their parenting hats and like trying to gentle parent her into being like, okay, Parker, but how about right now we take some deep breaths Mm -hmm. and we don't screw up the con. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like we're trying to do serious business. (laughs) And she's just, like, so excitable. And I do love, though, that it ends up, like, working perfectly to their advantage because, like, 
she says to like Hardison, like, tell him it's chocolate or whatever, because she's like, woo. And like, it works because there's a chocolate festival literally happening right now. Yeah. And it would make sense for someone who was like, you know, heavily invested in this scheme that they're trying to convince him they're mm-hmm. running that, you know, yeah, now's a good time. This is the right place. I also love the fake out of this episode of like, they tell you at the beginning of the episode, they're like, we can't con him. Mm-hmm. We've got to steal from him. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of forget the whole idea is that they can't con him. They've got to steal from him. The funny thing is, I didn't forget that. I spent the whole episode confused. Because I yeah. was like, you said this wasn't going to work. And I believe you for obvious reasons. And then they're not conning him. They're distracting him. Mm. Yes. That's the key. Mm-hmm. But because it's framed as if they're trying to con him, it's like, it's so funny because they've told you. You know this. I have a note. <laughs> Actually, I have two. Mm-hmm. And it goes, was this intentional? Question mark. And then in all caps, it was intentional. <laughs> Like, and that's from the moment where he starts telling them, like, you can't con me. Like, I saw every, like, point that you I was tried. so focused on everything that you were doing that I saw every move you made before you even made it. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you forgot the key of the confidence game. You can't con a con man. Yeah, yeah. And do you know what I actually really loved was that they used the people that he had conned Mm -hmm. as the, like, quote-unquote extras. Yeah. Like, I loved that attention to detail. I love the point of, like, well, they can't use anyone who is actually in that because he knows everybody in this community. Like, mm -hmm. he knows everyone. Like, they couldn't call Tara. No. Yeah. And what was really interesting to me was because I was confused when I was like, oh, this is fun. They're getting, like, a community acting, you know, Mm -hmm. like, they're utilising the local Mm -hmm. artists to like help them but then they were explicitly describing him as the mark and I was like how much do these random people know and so I am glad that they gave us like an explanation and I'm glad that like as they're sort of pointing out the different people you're like oh I recognize them Mm -hmm. they were the people asking for signatures at the like and because I when that scene was occurring I was like oh it's it seems weird that she would gain this much notoriety within like literally what 90 seconds Mm -hmm. like Hardison uploads the thing and then all of them are like oh my god this lady and so when you find out later like oh no they were in on it Mm -hmm. it's like oh that's actually genius they're plants Mm -hmm. you know and you've got no way of knowing that as it's happening but looking back on it reflectively I'm like oh that's cool yeah you know I also love that Sophie just absolutely obliterates the chocolate competition like there is no reason for her to be able to ID those chocolates I yeah look except obviously she's run a con regarding chocolate before I mean maybe this is the one part of the episode where I'm like Nate specifically says it's like Belgium so she's clearly done this before I mean maybe like the likelihood of her having been in this exact scenario before feels highly unlikely but also even if she was there is no fucking way they are managing to give her the exact fucking same sample of chocolate. Like, yeah. there well, is no Hardison way. Hardison says, he knows what 11, like, what 11 types of chocolate it could possibly be. He just doesn't know which one they're actually tasting. Yeah. But I just feel like, like, this kind of sensory analysis mm. is actually very, very tightly controlled in, like, a scientific... Like, I actually did an entire university unit on sensory analysis of food. Mm. And, like, the way that you have to present the samples and the conditions that they need to be presented in and the scientific formats that go into these kind of, like, quality control tests, essentially, Mm. or 
um, or consumer test to see yeah. like, oh, is this new recipe that we're trying out? Do people actually like it more or do they like it less? And, you know, why do they like it more God or damn, less? Goddamn, someone should have done that with the barbecue shapes flavor. They've re- do you know what is so funny about that is that they would have. There is no way that they would have tried to go to market with a new flavor or a new recipe without doing all these quality control tests. And what is actually super fascinating, and this is getting so off topic, but I do want to like tell you because it's fun for me. So you can take it out if you like. But in, I want to say like the mid 70s to like mid 80s, somewhere in like that kind of decade range, Coke did this. Coke developed a new Coke, right? And that's literally what they called it. They called it new Coke. And it was a new recipe for Coca-Cola. And they did all of these control tests and they made absolutely sure that people not only liked it more than original Coke, but more than their direct competitor, Pepsi, right? In like blind taste tests and they would have done it. And it was so rigorous because it's a huge brand and a massive risk. (laughs) They did all of these tests and they knew that this new recipe was beyond anything else on the market. People loved it. And then they announced it and the backlash was insane. I mean, people literally made signs and protested it. They wanted old Coke back, even though they could prove with the data that the new version was better. But people liked the old Coke. They liked what was familiar about it. They liked the brand. And like, that was what, like, decided. psychology. Yeah. The basically, one of the key tenets of consumer psychology is that you don't need to be good. Mm -hmm. You just need to be okay. Because as soon as somebody finds something on the market that they like, that's just okay. That just does what they need it to do. Doesn't need to be anything like that. They just need it to be predictable Mm -hmm. that every time they buy this product, it is going to be okay. Yeah. They'll continue buying it. They won't continue looking for an alternate if they're happy with the product. Yeah. And they don't need to be, it doesn't need to be anything ecstatic. It doesn't need to be anything like particularly good or shiny or special. Yeah. It just just needs needs to to be okay. It just needs to meet their needs. And if it meets their needs, it doesn't have to exceed them. They're not going to look for the bells and whistles. They're not going to continue searching once they've found something they can rely on. Yeah. And it's so fucking fascinating. Like the brand loyalty, but also because you see it with Coke and Pepsi and you see it in like the Pepsi challenge or whatever. It's the same concept. People try Coke and Pepsi in a blind taste test and people like Pepsi more, but you put it in the branded cans and they're like, no, I'm a Coke person. And it's to do with the marketing and it is fucking fascinating, but this is irrelevant. My point was... (laughs) Though I will say Pepsi tastes bad. Uh, I don't like Pepsi. I feel like it tastes a little sweeter and that is like literally the only thing Mm. that I can tell, but also I don't really drink soft drink. Mm. So I don't know, but... It is literally so improbable that Sophie could figure this out. Like, yes, she has 11 to choose from. That's still not great odds. Like, even if she knows all of the facts about those 11, she still has to guess which one it is correctly and immediately. Mm -hmm. And the training that you have to go through to be the kind of panelist who is able to taste these things is pretty rigorous. Mm -hmm. Like, you take courses in it. You Mm -hmm. don't just figure it out. You know, and I mean, you could Mm -hmm. if you were just, like, a general person who just ate a lot of a product and, like, yourself went out of your way to try a lot of different things. But you do have to train your palate, you know? And even if she knew the fact of, like, oh, well, it's cinnamon, so you know blah 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 sure but she still had to be able to taste enough to know that that was the right chocolate you know like i just see i'm and you can't give you can't explain it with hardison no 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 i was about to say 
there's it's so frustrating because there's a piece of Sophie's backstory that would tie really nicely into this that you do not know that I okay. cannot tell you about. Okay. Um, but there is there would be a reason why she would like there. It's not. What can I say about this? That's like <laughs> I can see the pain in your eyes. <laughs> well, it's like I'm trying to say it so vaguely that you don't know what I'm talking about. Mm. But there is there is a reason why Sophie would have intimate knowledge of food. Okay. There is there is a reason why Sophie would um like and obviously it's not she went through and became a you know consumer taste tester or anything like that. <laughs> like she didn't go through rigorous training in that way. Yeah. But like we do get a piece of Sophie backstory that would explain at least some of it. Is it relevant to Belgium? Like is it relevant to that moment that Nate calls out? No. So that's an extra piece of backstory that we could cite. But okay. the piece of backstory I'm thinking of doesn't come in until redemption. Okay, um, sure. Hopefully everyone knows the piece of backstory that I'm thinking of. I hope so too. I was going to offer to block my ears and then I realised that's not going to achieve anything because I'll still listen, listen to, to this edit. episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, it's kind of... It's kind, that's I'm okay. Gonna, I'm going to offer you the choice. Okay. It is not a spoiler for any sort of major plot reveal. Mm-hmm. It is only a Sophie backstory spoiler. And even then, it's only a minor part of her Sophie backstory. Would you like me to just tell you what I'm talking about? Or would you prefer to wait? It doesn't spoil anything major. It's not really relevant. It's just a piece of offhanded information that we get later on. It's not going to change anything about my thought process moving forward about her character? Shouldn't do, I don't imagine. Yeah, I would like to know it, just in case we forget okay. to come back to this. So we find out that for one of the cons Sophie ran in the past, she went to pastry school. Oh, okay. Because the way she got in with her mark in the past was she became a pastry chef at his favourite restaurant. Jesus, fuck, that is some... Dedication. Dedication. Yeah. That, that takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was one of her earlier cons. Holy shit. So she really was out here, like, laminating mm-hmm. pastry, making them perfect croissant. Mm-hmm. So she went to pastry school, um, which would explain why she would probably be able to differentiate. At least, maybe not origins of chocolate for me, but at least strength percentages because yeah pastry chef is one of those things where you need to be able to tell what cocoa percentage the chocolate you're using is yeah because the structural differences between like a milk chocolate and a dark chocolate very different very different yeah actually that makes a lot i actually would accept that as making it way more probable because of those 11 choices they're all going to have different cocoa percentages Mm -hmm. and then that narrows that down significantly so Mm -hmm. if she can just identify the cocoa percentage i think that gives her her answer Mm -hmm. almost almost without a doubt unless there are two that are that close together to that 85 percent mark and then you can start to use the others like she she lists out why she's thinking that one she says like there's the slightest hint of vanilla you've got the little bit of cinnamon see like, i i would argue that that's from a fact sheet mm-hmm. so what i was thinking is that okay so there are 11 different types and the hardison has got research on all of them that she can use as evidence mm-hmm. right that she would have been prepped with before the mm-hmm. before the case even like i mean we have hardison like double checking like on the screen but you know, I'm, I would be willing to like put that aside and be like, okay, for the audience's sake, they showed this. But like, if she is able to just isolate which sample it was based on cocoa percentage, she could then just run from the fact sheet that mm-hmm. she'd been prepped with. Yeah. Like that would be, I yeah. think, the most likely realistic scenario. If she can, like, or even if she can narrow it down to two choices based on based on the percentage. It's still like, way better odds than one in 11. It's like, and then she can go, oh, well, actually, like, because 
she would, I would argue she'd probably be able to tell vaguely the differences between the beans, mm. which would then narrow down to her final choice. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it is. And it would also explain how she knows exactly what bean the chocolate that Laverne next to her is eating. Oh, yeah. Side note, I kind of feel bad for Laverne. Mm. Like, she's kind of framed as kind of shitty like as if you're not supposed to feel bad for her but I feel really bad for her like this is clearly something she's very passionate about Mm -hmm. and she has like a strained sexual relationship with the chocolate which I'm not sure what they were trying to do there it feels like maybe a poorly aged joke Mm. like the way she was talking about it I was like this just feels like a Chuck Tingle novel like Mm. this is the monologue is ripped straight Chuck Tingle like novel about Laverne when yeah right but I felt bad for her Mm -hmm. because like this is her world and somebody's just coming and like yeah and like they don't really dedicate much time to it but she's there the last scene we see of Laverne is she's holding her book looking like she's about to sob and Sophie even says like I didn't mean to make Laverne cry Mm -hmm. and I'm like Jesus Christ like you know how in like superhero movies or whatever people think about they'll say oh no one talks about the structural damage to the (laughs) city that they've caused defeating the fucking villains Structural damage to Laverne. Yeah, like literally, I'm like, usually, like the leverage team, if they kind of use someone in a con, they don't get hurt. Like, typically, like, outside of Elliot maybe knocking someone out. Like, but this is going to damage Laverne's, not only her emotional well-being, but also her reputation. Mm. Also, like, the sales of her book. Also, her passions. Like, but also, like, to be clear, like, Laverne got her chocolate wrong. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Sophie didn't make Laverne guess incorrectly, which one of the things is, like, if Laverne had guessed her chocolate correctly, mm. then it would have been a lot closer. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. because Laverne was incorrect about, like, because Laverne worked out where it was from, but she didn't work out the percentage. I wonder if maybe it's, like, the framing of her character then, because they kind of, like, she has those kind of snipey remarks yeah. at Sophie, and I'm like, that was so kind of unnecessary. Like, it feels like they're trying to get the audience to dislike Laverne, mm. and I'm like, based on what? Like, you know, like, you didn't have to write her like that. I don't know, it just feels weird, because Leverage is normally pretty kind to their, like, second characters or their once-off characters in the in the terms of like bystanders don't get harmed kind of thing yeah but for some reason Laverne kind of cops the shitty end of the stick mm. and I'm like damn that's that sucks you know I kind of want to hear her story <laughs> you know I do want to just say though mm. we're moving on from Laverne yeah because, no that's fair you know we can't spend more time on her than the episode did um we get Hardison who is undercover and in a refreshing change of pace not the one who got kidnapped yeah Love that for him. It was Nate this week. He is also killing it at being undercover. I loved Sophie talking him through it. That whole scenario was great. I love the fact that he gets the job and he sits down and he's talking on the phone to these people and he's like, as a member of the SLC BBC JLA, which I don't know what um, SLC is, but obviously the BBC, Mm -hmm. network of Doctor Who. Yeah. And the JLA, Justice League of America. So he's just like pulling the nerdy like references out of his ass. That's hilarious. I do love that. I do love that. I didn't even notice. 
Um, what I did notice about Hardis in this episode is that he immediately says, like, I think either Sophie or Elliot say, like, oh, it's like this con or we should do this con. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, 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 no. You need two old people and a banana peel. And, like, it just starts this kind of... No, no, of- that's the burger backlash. No, no, yeah. no. That you need, like, a glass eye and a cube. Like- yeah, and it starts this cascade of them, like, backing and forthing. And I'm like, I love this bickering. However, Nate did just tell you guys that a con won't work. <laughs> like... I kind of love that they immediately default back to cons and like bickering about different, you know, what each one entails. Like, I do love that. And also they immediately get distracted from the point that they just made. (laughs) This is, and it's also giving me big, like the morning after job vibes when they're like, oh no, that's like the Vegas wake up call. No, that's when Mm -hmm. like the boyfriend comes in with a baseball bat. Oh no, it's this like, yeah, I love when they disagree on Con names. It really reignites my desire for that coffee table book mm. that like goes through each con. Like I would fucking love that. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and one other note. This apparently is the only job in the world where having a university education is a bad thing. Yeah, they were like, we don't want any finance degrees or business chumps. As a business chump, I am. <laughs> yeah, look, I just think it's funny that he's like, are you university educated? Get the fuck out. We don't want you here. Go, like, go get a job at like an accounting agency or something. The key thing there is, no, he doesn't want... Yeah, for obvious reasons. For obvious reasons. No, he doesn't want anyone with a university degree because they're more likely to be like, oh, no, we are fully scamming people. Well, I think the fact that they're there for the job at all kind of goes against that. But I think it's more like they're more of a threat to him Yeah, in the sense of like they have a more intimate understanding of the way that like the stock market is going to work and like bits and pieces. And that can go badly for him if they were to run against him. It's also like it's he is like he's obviously targeting his victims based on who's going to be the most vulnerable vulnerable he's also targeting his employees based on who's going to be the most vulnerable Mm. because if you have a business degree and you take a job that you thought was going to be fine but actually turns out no it's super duper shady and you could quit Mm. and go somewhere where else for your business degree you're going to be less desperate for that job than somebody who doesn't have any qualifications Mm -hmm. yeah yeah exactly and oh did we need the seal analogy like did we need that mental image i certainly don't think i needed it personally this dude is just he's he's so fucking full of himself he's wild like i think honestly there are two things about him in terms of costuming Mm. that i think just really highlight how he thinks of himself and how he presents it to the world around him number one his pocket square is always folded so that it looks like a crown and Mm. i think that's interesting because he's like positioning himself as like the king of the con which is really interesting considering that he comes from like you know king is a title that's typically passed down through family generational yeah it's generational he's really leveraging on the fact of oh my grandfather was the yellow kid yeah like like, i've inherited the crown yeah yeah exactly it's like i am the best con artist of this century simply by virtue of birth. yeah yeah exactly so i thought that was interesting but the other thing is that he's fully in the jungle in a suit Mm -hmm. like what? What are you doing? Also, Elliot looks like Indiana Jones. And I loved that entire scene. We need to talk about that scene because, oh my God, they really just said to, like, Elliot, be as weird as you possibly fucking can. And he's like, yep, I'm going to eat a snake heart. I- they were like, you really don't have to. He's like, no, I'm going <laughs> to. Like, 
I was, it's so funny because when Nate is like, he's like, oh, like, how do you know about this report or whatever? And Nate's like, I just, I like a, a guy who knows things. Yeah. And I was like, Nate, that's such a bad cover. But then you see Elliot portraying the guy who knows things. And I was like, oh no, that's actually the best way you could have described him. Because if you tried to go with anything more specific, it would have sounded even less believable. Mm-hmm. If you were like an Indiana Jones cosplayer who eats raw snake hearts on his days off. To like, consume their souls. <laughs> key part. Genuinely. Like, fucking insane. Insane. And I did love... It's been a hot minute since we've seen, like, Elliot commit to the bit mm-hmm. as hard as this. And I did love it. I did love it. I also enjoyed... I, I feel bad for the snake. Mm-hmm. The snake... He did not have to do the snake like that. It no. was just there minding its own fucking business, you know? But it did really give me our flag means death vibes, mm-hmm. you know, where the poor snake, unfortunately, Rip is beaten to death snake. against a tree. Like, you know, it, it gave me that same energy. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're doing something and that's it. Mm, it was it was wild. I, I My actual note was, I don't know what Elliot is going for with this role, but he's psychotic and I love it. He Dash really, R.I.P. Snake. Like, I <laughs> keep on telling people to commit to the bit. And, like, I've got to hand it to him. He fucking committed to the bit. Like, there was no reason for him to go that hard. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that they're fucking using their machete to go through the jungle is enough. Yeah. But no, he's like... And he's like, you know, you've got to keep moving or you die. Yeah. And he's like, that's what people, that's like, that's just like me. People call me the Mako. And it's like, do they? Do they? No one calls you that except yourself. So it's, I, I love the fact that yes, like Elliot is committing to the fucking bit. Mm -hmm. He is going harder than it is fucking reasonable for him to go. There is no conceivable reason for him to be going this hard. Also, we get him at the end of the episode being like, he says something along the lines of, I went two weeks without hitting people or something. Like, he's trying to time himself to see how long he can go without resorting to physical violence. And I think that is very interesting for his character. Like, I the whole thing with Monroe, Moreau, yeah. like... Personally, I think that the reason he's gone so long without hitting other people is because of the Ten Little Grifters job. I think after him being like, I can't get information out of people unless it's like messy. I think messy and violent is how he describes it. Mm. I think he's like trying to prove to himself that he could get information literally any other way. I love that. So he's like self-issued a challenge. Yeah. I love that for him. But like, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like if he's trying to distance himself from the violence or or just from being perceived as only a hitter. Yeah. Like, I like this idea that he is branching out into other aspects as a way to not necessarily let go of being a hitter, because I don't think that that is necessarily what he'd want, but as a way to expand on himself, Mm -hmm. you know, and to like find who he is now that he's truly free from the shadow of Moreau Mm -hmm. and what that means, you know? It's, yeah. Speaking of who you are and what it means, I loved Sophie getting like fully defensive about like the... The, uh, the victim from the beginning of the episode describing him as a grifter. She really said, no, I will not tolerate grifter slander. Yeah. Like, and she said it with her whole chest. Mm-hmm. Like, and fucking not Nate putting his hand on her knee. I was like, Jesus Christ, like, all right, buddy. <laughs> 
like she is fully ready to go to war. She's like, nope, not a grifter, just a common criminal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and like she's not wrong. Like what he's doing isn't actually like it is grifting in the most basic sense of the term. But Sophie is someone who really like she, she respects the craft. Yeah, it, it's all about the craft for her. Like she's not just out here conning anybody. Like mm. she's only conning people who actually have fucking money. Well, which I don't even think that that's what it is. I honestly think that she has respect for the craft in the sense that, like, he's running a statistics game. Like, she's she, about the art of it. Yeah, she's like, no, no, it doesn't matter who I'm targeting. I will find a way to convince them specifically. Whereas he's like, well, if I target a thousand people, I have a 50-50% chance of, you know, like, hitting yeah. these 500. And then you just narrow it down from there. And it's like, all right. It's a broad strokes approach. And to his credit, I suppose, it does work. But the way that Sophie does it is she's like, no, I'm going to specifically tailor this con to this individual person and I am going to take them for all their worth. Yeah. You know, like it's a very different approach. It's about the art of gaining a single person's trust Mm. versus just sort of targeting a whole bunch of people and going with Hoping whatever for the fucking best whatever result you get exactly and so it's kind of it's just a difference in approach it's sort of like I was saying way back when I think in like season one about Elliot and you asked me like oh why do you think he has a problem with guns and I was saying because there's a difference between beating someone at hand-to-hand combat mm-hmm. and beating someone because you had a long-range rifle like there's a difference there and so I think that that is maybe the same kind of mentality that Sophie is applying here the way that she approaches grifting is just fundamentally different to the way that he does. And the other thing is she is kind of like the analogy with Elliot working one-on-one with her marks. This guy is completely removed. That's why he doesn't recognize any of them when they use them as extras. No. Because he's only ever speaking to them either like online or through phones. Like he doesn't have a personal connection with them the way Sophie does. No. Like she is, yeah. And also because he doesn't have that personal connection, because he's not seeing him face to face, he's also not undertaking the same risk that Sophie would like Sophie because they see her face Mm -hmm. like there's only so much you can do when somebody can fucking recognize you you yeah exactly so to go from you know someone who they very much put their own life on their line and their own identity on the line every time they do any sort of work like this to like oh no they couldn't they might recognize your voice yeah if that like there is no actual he's He's taking the piss easy way out, essentially. Yeah, it's like, not only is he running a con based entirely on just statistics and, like, having the 50-50 chance of being right, and then if he isn't right, he just gets to dip and it, like, has no real impact, to also removing, like, he's removed a whole layer of risk there, Mm. but he's removing a secondary layer of risk in the sense that he's never, ever going to be personally implicated. Like, the police could put him in a lineup and ask someone who conned you, and they'd be like, I don't fucking know. I, I never saw them. Yeah. And then, yeah, you're right. He could speak and they could try to base it on the voice, but that is way harder. Like witness statements and like I like eyesight mm-hmm. recall is not that great to begin with, but vocal? Even worse. Yeah. And like also when you also consider the fact that he is talking to them over the phone. So there's also a certain amount of distortion Mm -hmm. that comes just from it being over the phone. So it's, you know, and it's really interesting because we also see like Sophie says this episode, like he reads people better than anyone. Yeah. So he's not putting those skills to use. Like he's not really reading people. Because also the other thing is he's not doing a lot of the work. No. He's employing people. He's delegating it. He's delegating. Mm. So it's like he's just taking the wimp's way out. And so that really... 
really doesn't sit well with Sophie. He is as far removed as he could possibly be, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's, yeah, I think that that's what Sophie takes issue with, basically, Mm -hmm. you know? It's kind of the equivalent of using an AI to make art and then you being like, look at this art I made. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, 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 no. You just used other people's art and then had a computer change it to call it your own. That's not how that Mm -hmm. works. Okay, I'm ready to move on from this. Are you ready to move on from this? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't think I had any other notes specifically on that kind of... That's okay. I just want to, like, have a really quick shout-out to some of my favourite lines this episode. Because I think every episode of Leverage has some banger lines. But I think this episode particularly, I'm like, I think some lines are just so fucking funny. Mm -hmm. I very specifically want to call out... Um, oh, they call him Count Chocula. And they're like, that's a stupid name. And he's like, you're right, it is. But he's not the sort of person who gives himself his own nickname. And then the wink destroyed me. So fucking funny. The way that you see the fucking blowfish's, like, mm. entire soul drain out of his body at that remark. Like, the way his grin slips and he's like, take me to the fucking dude or whatever. Like, yeah. hilarious. Iconic. I also love the fact that we get the line, my name's, like, I'm Agent Loind, like Loin with a ding. Yeah. <laughs> so fucking funny. I love any time Nate is like, this is my character name. Uh-huh. This letter here is silent. We also get dumb hat Nate. We get dumb hat Nate. We love to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love the line, we should probably address the pink argyle elephant in the room. Oh my God. Yes. Because the Mark fully called Nate and Sophie in front of the whole team. Mm-hmm. And I also love the fact that they do call it out as, not that you're not two consenting adults. Yeah. It's just a little bit too close to consensual workplace relationship for me. It is a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> But, like, the whole idea of, like, no, we just need to know what the fuck is happening with each other because we need to trust each other and so we know need to know where everyone's emotions are at. Yeah, and I honestly am so glad that they allowed the team to voice their concerns because one of the only issues I've consistently had with leverage over the seasons is that they don't really allow the team to speak to each other about things that they disagree on. Like, we might get a point made of it and then it's just never fucking addressed again. I do appreciate that we at least have them sitting around the table and they make the point of, you guys should have told us. Mm -hmm. And it's not like... We this don't huge give a dramatic shit, thing. But you should have told us. Yeah, exactly. And they are so valid in that. Like, and the thing is that they could have just made like a joke about like we've been new kind of thing. Mm. They could have done that, but I appreciate that they didn't. I appreciate that they actually were like, oh no, this is like a serious thing that actually Whether has we impact. Or not, right, you should have told us. Yeah, like we should not have found out from the fucking mark. Mm-hmm. But we do get the iconic line from that. Oh, friends with Benny's. Yeah. Iconic. I love Hardison so much. We also, like, while I'm just going through the lines in mm-hmm. here, we get the one of the actors that they have hired for this week, one of the victims, is like, I was in Equus in the Round, and they're like, oh, who did you play? And he's like, I was Nugget, the horse. Yeah, but I was the, the front, front end. end. I fucking love it. My note was, Nugget, that's Arlo's name. <laughs> I love that we get Cox, but with an X. Oh, yes. That iconic. I also love, I don't think her crackers are quite toasted. What a wild way to phrase that. That is a, that is not an analogy I have ever heard before mm-hmm. in my life. What if the bear eats me? Oh. Every line out of that woman's mouth was gold. I had a note where I was like, I would have let her go, TBH. Like, I would have just been like, you know what? Your services are no longer required. Like, she was so fucking focused on this bear. <laughs> 
Oh, what I did love, though, speaking of Mrs. Cox and Nugget, Mm -hmm. at the very end of the episode, they're dancing together, right, in the bar, Mm. and Hardison makes a point of, like, that's so sweet and also so weird, you know? Yeah. The way that they're dancing, like, the actual positions that they're Mm. holding is exactly Sam and that old lady from Red Sky at Morning. Like, am I wrong? Like, the exact positions, like, the way she puts her head on his chest, it is identical. (laughs) It was wild. (laughs) I also love you eat a snake heart, you can consume its soul. Closely followed by, uh, it's about the nature of a man, the nature of darkness. I know. Everything about that. Elliot is so, like, you know that scene from back in season three? No, season two. When Sophie is away and we've got Tara, right? Mm-hmm. That is season two, am I remembering? Yes. That? Yes, fantastic. Tara season two. Yeah. That scene where she fully gets that guy to confess everything by just taking a sandwich and eating it, and all she says to Elliot is she's like, just give him the crazy eyes or whatever. Do that thing with your eyes that scares people. Yes, that's the one. I feel like we've had a return of the thing that Elliot does with his eyes that scares people. Specifically as he's eating a fucking snake heart. And then we also get, he hung up the phone. Rude. Iconic. I love McSweet more than you can ever imagine. Oh, he's so good. And then we get to the scene at the very end of the episode. Ain't we a pair of high-stakes sons of bitches and and you come descending from the heavens with a pair of blood-tipped wings and a flaming sword? I thought you would find this one interesting in the angel imagery of it. I found it so fascinating. So fascinating. But, like, in a, like, I've talked a lot about how Nate is, like, Nate and Sam, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm like, okay, but, like, that's very Michael imagery, Mm -hmm. right? And then I'm like, okay, but Nate and John, Nate and John, though, Mm -hmm. you know? So I did find that interesting. I was like, oh, dang, what is this, Supernatural? (laughs) So while we are, that was the last of my lines that I really wanted to shout out. So while we're talking about that final scene, how do you feel? Like, obviously, this is main, big, overarching plot stuff. Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about it? Do you have any ideas? Is, do you know like r- like what you want to see like how are you feeling about we get a name and we get a face this week we get jack latimer who is certainly involved in the bug because he's the one who planted the bug and he's the one who called nate and like we've seen bits and pieces i love the direction they've gone with this mm. i love it this is what i wanted them to do with moro not necessarily to have moro be profiting from the fallout of their cons which by the way fucking genius take for the writers to have have come up with yeah i do love that as a concept but do you remember me saying that i wished that when we got like the reveal of moreau and stuff at the end of the season that we could have gone back and like seen the actor as an extra or like people surrounding him as like background Mm -hmm. people so we could actually watch them being surveilled the whole Mm -hmm. time that's kind of what they've retroactively done here this is what i wanted from moreau and like the fact that they're referencing the motherfucking pilot Mm. obsessed with this this is exactly what i wanted from moreau because they built him up to be the head of this criminal organization they built him up to be so powerful and then i feel like they didn't actually prove it he was so powerful that the only people in the world that could take him down were the team yeah basically like yeah right and i feel like they didn't actually do that much to show that they just kind of told us yeah. Right? This, however, this is different. They are explicitly explaining to us why this guy is so good. Mm-hmm. Like, 
They are showing us that he is not conning people in the way that any of the marks thus far have conned people. Mm. And he's actually showing us that he is fully using the team and there is nothing they can do about it because the only options are they stop doing what they've been doing for the Mm. previous three and a half seasons so that this guy stops profiting or they continue to do what they've been doing for the last three and a half season and this guy profits. Mm. They are in a lose-lose situation here and I kind of fucking love And also, he's been like, this all starts with Dubinich. Like, this is the pilot. Like, he, and like, the other thing is, he wasn't following Dubinich, he was following Pearson, Mm -hmm. the original CEO that they took down. Yeah. And then they, you know, course corrected and took down Dubinich. But he has been at this for a long time. He has been watching them. He has been following them. He's been tracking them. And they haven't known either. This is the first time they've realized it. Mm -hmm. This is the first time they've worked it out. Which I feel like when I was saying, like, so, like, what do you think? Because they were talking about how it's the software that Hardison used. Yeah. Because it's someone who knows the The team team very, very well. Yeah. And what is so interesting to me is we get a line from Crowley and Supernatural at one point where he's talking to someone and they're basically like, oh, the Winchesters will just kill them kind of thing. And Crowley goes, am I the only person who doesn't fucking constantly underestimate those denim-clad assholes, basically. Yeah. And this is kind of the same energy. He is not looking at the team and being like, oh, I can outsmart you. You're not Mm going to be able to take me down, blah, blah, blah. You're not a threat. He's looking at them and fully understanding they are the biggest threat. I'm not going to bet against them. Mm -hmm. And he is profiting insanely from that. He is literally the only person they have introduced, maybe outside of Sterling, which is hilarious considering the Crowley example that I just used, who fully understands that he is so much better off betting on the team winning. Yeah. Like, he is way, way better off betting against their targets. Just staying off of their bad side Mm -hmm. and just profiting off of them absolutely crushing other people. Well, not even staying off their bad side, but just staying out of their radar. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, he in himself isn't actually doing anything bad. Mm -hmm. It's like he is, but not in the same way. Like, Mm -hmm. he is not in himself causing destruction. He is just benefiting from the destruction that is being caused regardless and it's dodgy Mm -hmm. but sorry i just i I, something just hit me i want to ask you a question okay see if you've got any thoughts because i know how the season ends there's no point me giving my thoughts on it because that's massive spoilers but he's been doing this for the last three seasons right he's been following them he's been keeping track of who they're going after etc they've only just found out about him do we think like something's maybe changed that like that he's now being more like bold or something and like do do you have any thoughts on why he's suddenly sort of emerging out of the woodworks after staying off of their radar for so long i mean I guess he kind of lays it out to Nate mm-hmm. in this scene. Like, he's offering him a deal, mm-hmm. you know. And so Crowley coded of him. It genuinely. But it's also kind of rooted in this idea of, like, here's the thing. He wasn't intending for the team to find the bug. Yeah. Obviously. Mm-hmm. You know. So I think that maybe, like, now that their suspicions are raised, again, he knows better than to bet against them. Yeah. So it is better for him, in my guess, to get ahead of the curve by approaching them first mm-hmm. and offering them a deal. And saying, hey, I can give you... I'll give you names. I'll give you so many secrets. Yeah. If you give me the heads up so that... Essentially, he's manipulating the stock market. 
Yeah. Which is bad. But he actually lays it out that he's not manipulating the stock market because they are, as he calls them, market correction. Yeah. Because a lot of these companies are based on, like, their value is based on a lie. Mm. It's based on the crimes that they are committing that they're then covering up. Yeah. So that their product is worth more money than it actually is. Like, you know, all of them. They're, because a lot of the times what the team does isn't like frame them for stuff they didn't do. It's bring to light the stuff they absolutely are. Like I'm thinking of the frozen meal company that was like hiding the fact they would have to do a recall because they had E. coli in the meals. I'm actually thinking the second episode or the third episode uh, that had uh, there's the the, the defense the, contractors. No, 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 the snow job. Yes, the the house the yeah, the, the company, housing the yeah. contractors who were taking people's houses. Yeah, based like based in on loopholes. some really dodgy shit and some loopholes. Yeah, it's. I'm also thinking of like um, even the inside job in that. Like that was their plan. Like they're not framing them on anything they weren't planning on doing. Yeah, like even the hot potato job, Verdagra's stock would have been based on a lie. Yeah, if they had said come to market and said, "Hey, look at this potato we developed." Mm. That is a lie. Yeah, like if they had, um, you know, like a lot of them, a lot of the time it's like coming out uh the drug company the double blind job yeah the drug company that was about to release a new drug that was going to make them billions of dollars yeah was a lie because it was just an old drug in a clever disguise that was going to kill a whole bunch of people yeah and if anyone knew that they were purposefully doing that their stock would not have been valued anywhere near as highly yeah because it would have been a pr nightmare yeah exactly and so this is just so fascinating as a take because the thing is this guy's being framed as the big bad villain of the season mm-hmm. right yeah. and he's not not that mm-hmm. but what he is doing is operating in a moral gray mm-hmm. because the team you could argue is in the moral high ground mm-hmm. and their marks are on the moral low ground mm-hmm. this guy is doing nothing to influence either side no he is just sitting in the middle and letting the collateral damage benefit him mm-hmm. and that is such an interesting position to take you know and so i personally feel like this was maybe the only choice he had other than completely backing off mm-hmm. and so if he wanted to potentially improve his revenue Mm-hmm. This is the the yeah. the way to go, the path to take. And the other thing is that he knows the team from observation, but he doesn't know them personally. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't necessarily realize that this kind of offer is not going to sit well with Nate. No, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't necessarily understand the team's motivations. Yeah, he might think that they're in it for their own benefit mm-hmm. rather than like financial benefit, rather than the benefit mm-hmm. of you know the serotonin of taking down these people and helping others yeah so yeah i think that it is a very very interesting direction for them to take and i am so excited this is the first time i have been this excited about the actual plot of leverage Mm -hmm. because i think that it is the most interesting thing they could have done with a villain because he is ultimately being framed as a villain Mm -hmm. you know someone for them to take down i assume he is not going to be someone they end up working alongside or if he is it might be the kind of thing where like they are begrudgingly working Mm -hmm. alongside him i think the other thing is he has all of these secrets he knows these names he knows everyone who got away with it 
and he hasn't done anything about it. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the other thing. Like, just because he's not actively getting in the team's way mm-hmm. and because he's not actively committing these crimes himself, he he's still been tipping them off this whole time. He's still complicit in everything yes. that's happening. Yes, exactly. I had a uni lecturer say something to me once and it has stuck with me mm-hmm. for years. And it is this concept that the situation you walk past is the situation you accept. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what this guy is doing. He is aware of these horrible, horrible things that are happening and he is just accepting them mm-hmm. and moving right along. And like, don't get me wrong, you cannot invest yourself in every single bad thing that ever mm-hmm. crosses your path in life. You just can't. Like, you turn on the news for 90 seconds and you're overwhelmed by all the terrible things that are happening. You cannot dedicate yourself to every single one. Mm-hmm. But he also hasn't dedicated himself to any. No. You know, like, I'm sure, like, he has a list of these things and he could even just pick one mm-hmm. to tip them off about. Although in saying that, we don't necessarily know that he hasn't been tipping people yeah. to be like, because how do people find out about the crew? Like, we've said before, like, mm-hmm. oh, Hardison finds them. And it's not even, like, and we do get actual, like, canonical comments information on this like Mm. Hardison runs like google analytics and like he does a lot of tech stuff to like in the background to like tip people off who like he seeks out the victims he looks at it he seeks it out you know some of it is like sheer dumb luck some like they just stumble across the situation they're like no we have to do something about this yeah other of it is like you know Hardison will go out and find these clients yeah you know other is like kind of like word of mouth like they're like a rumor Mm -hmm. but there's nothing to say that this guy hasn't been feeding people to the team a bit like chaos did in the ho-ho-ho job yeah exactly and so I think that's an interesting angle as well I am fascinated to see how this guy ends up Mm -hmm. like if they as a team take him down or if they maybe like there's like a conversion where he like is like oh I've seen the error of my ways kind of thing and he decides to be on their team like very Ebenezer Scrooge like yeah like I'm interested to see where they go with it I genuinely don't know like obviously they leave and like they're not on friendly terms or whatever they do have the moment where he pours the drink which like you've Mm. talked to me about Sterling and Nate and the drink theory he pours the drink and offers it to Nate Nate does take it but then he throws it across the lawn like yeah. the fucking like cup just I don't even know where that ended up he just like yeets it mm. and so I do think that that is interesting like I'm wondering if it maybe is like a hint that he's going to like take him up on the offer but then like mm. toss it yeah because it's exactly what he literally does with the mm. glass but one other thing that I want to mention which is so irrelevant to everything yeah. that we're currently discussing it's this outfit on Nate is kind of a look like he's kind of serving in this scene and there was no reason for it. But, like, the way he's, st- he's leaning against the, like, pillar, he's got his hands in his pockets, he's got mm-hmm. that jacket on. I was like, dang. Like, he really was like, I'm going to make a good impression on this guy. He's going to be out here serving Luke's. Literally. Which, yeah. And I just, I love this episode. I am. Me too. I really like I it. I have been, like, last week was an episode that I was like, I want you to watch. Because I, I thought it would make you a little bit mentally unwell. <laughs> this episode, I'm just like, I just want to be able to make fun of the blowfish with you. Like, he's just, he's so ridiculous. And I love that. I love that they were like, oh no, this could be like a really, like, scary, daunting, intimidating figure. And like, it's not that he's not. Because like, he obviously, like, he's very smart and he's very switched on. Very competent. About, you know, cons and stuff. But I also love the fact that they just take every possible opportunity to roast him. I know. Like, he is the blowfish. He is the kefilter fish. He is fucking any vague sea creature except for the one name that he fucking gave himself. I know. It's delightful. I love that they took 
a hard stand and that hard stand was... Now, it's fucking ridiculous to give yourself your own nickname. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, do you know what did give me a small heart attack, though, this episode? When Nate called Hardison Hardison in front of the mark and I was like, what are you doing? Like, I had fully forgotten that Hardison was playing himself at that point and I nearly freaked out. I was like, oh my god. Uh, And then I immediately recovered because I was like, oh wait, I just remembered the plot of the last 20 minutes. I also just (laughs) love the fact that like the entire, like the entire episode, you're like, you're watching it and you're like, they're weirdly over the top this week. Mm. Like they're really doing the most. And then you're like, when like the reveal comes at the end of like, oh no, the con was just fully a distraction. Like they did not think he was full. Like they did not think he was like, you know. They weren't trying to fool him. They weren't trying to fool him. They were like, you know, giving all of these tells so that he was so distracted by how bad this quote-unquote con was Mm -hmm. that he would just like be blindsided by the cyber heist that like you know the moment where it's like and hardison you're fine he goes you owe me 250k and it's like must be worth it to him it's like that is so fucking yeah redonkulous but it all makes sense because it's not about actually convincing the mark it's about convincing the mark that they're shit at running this con hear me out hear me out I'm head in hands right Mm -hmm. now for those at home. This is Nate's dumb hat, the episode. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that when he's wearing a dumb hat or a dumb tie, like the whole Jimmy Papadopoulos situation, Mm -hmm. it's so that he is an overbearing distraction. Mm -hmm. So that the mark isn't paying attention to everything else that's going on because Nate is so obnoxious and distracting. That's the tactic they're employing. Sophie cons people by making them fall in love with her. Nate cons people by pissing them off so much they start making irrational decisions. And the thing is, like, they literally just took Nate's dumb hat and put it on top of the con that they were convincing the guy they were running so that he didn't fucking notice the other shit they were actually doing. Mm-hmm. They they literally were like, yeah, Nate's entire personality is actually just going to be this con. Yeah. Nate is the moonwalking bear. And from your eyes, <laughs> I can tell you're shocked because you loved every moment of it. Well, yeah. Like, I... I they really were like, because the thing is, right, about Nate's dumb hats is that he wears it when he's a character, when he's mm. not himself. So essentially, they put dumb hats on every person involved mm-hmm. and then Nate was the moonwalking bear. Mm-hmm. He didn't notice what he was actually doing because he was too distracted by everyone's dumb hats. Mm-hmm. And how bad they were at this. It's like, no, the thing is, they're not bad at this. Damn. Oh, on that, very quickly, I assumed Parker was letting that guy pickpocket the phone. Mm-hmm. And then she wasn't. Like, he got that off her mm-hmm. fair and square. And I was like, holy shit, I assumed that she was letting him take that because it was, like, planted. Yeah. And then it was like, no. And I was like, holy hell. But then I did like that she took his credit card, and I did like that that came back up later. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, obsessed with Nate fully explaining what they're doing to Mrs. Cox for the sake of the audience. Mm-hmm. Like, it was an information dump, but mm-hmm. I appreciated the way it was presented, yeah. you know? I also, I just love Mrs. Cox. Every moment she is on the screen is fucking joy. She is so funny and she has no reason to be like she's just out here she's got reasonable concerns like being eaten by a bear Mm -hmm. like it is so fun concerns that plague all of us on the daily yeah Mm -hmm. 100% well I don't think I have anything else to add do you have anything else you wanted to add I have one singular point Mm -hmm. remaining and that point is that when Nate and Sophie are desperately trying to teach these people how to act Mm -hmm. if high school drama taught me anything 
It's that they will pull it together at the last second and give the best performance of their lives. And you know what? I stand by that assessment. We had wildly different experiences in high school. (laughs) (laughs) My high school drama experience was like, I remember straight up, I was given a new monologue with like 20 minutes before I had to be on stage. (laughs) Like... We had, we had the most ridiculous, I remember doing full dress rehearsals, like the last full dress rehearsal before the performance, and there were people on stage who still had scripts. Like, there was one dude who literally didn't know a single line. He had to be prompted for the entire thing. And then, do you know what? We performed it, like an hour later, flawless. I don't know what the energy was, but it was always like, it'll be fine. And then it was. <laughs> no, every production we ever did was falling apart. Yeah, look. Anyway, that was my last note. Okay, lovely. Well, then that brings us to the end of the episode. Bethany, how would you rate the boiler room job out of five? I get a 4.5. And I'm going to say that that last 0.5 was literally just Elliot. Like, in the jungle scene. In the jungle scene. Like, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what he was doing. Everyone in this episode was literally giving the most. Mm -hmm. But that, actually, do you know what? I changed that. Mm -hmm. I do think that Elliot was a standout. And... I honestly think that maybe that's because we haven't really given him much to do recently, mm. which is kind of a shame. I, I do like love Elliot when they gets give, overlooked a lot. I do love when they give him permission to just be the weirdest little freak you've ever yeah. seen. No, no, no. Here's the thing. I agree fully. I think that each member of the team gets like a, a 0.5 just for themselves. Mm. Like, so that gives us what? 2.5 mm. as, a, as a base for each of the team getting their own 0.5. The episode itself gets, like, a whole star just as a base because, like, it was a solid... Like, the episode existed Mm -hmm. and it was solid, right? And then... So that gives us 3.5. The other star, like, the other full point, goes to the fact that I am actually so excited about the overarching plot for the first time in all of watching Leverage. Like, I enjoyed that they gave us an overarching plot for for Monroe. I have called him... Almost called him Monroe, like, eight times this last hour. But I was ultimately let down by it. I feel like the overarching plots in season one and two were basically non-existent. You know, they were character plots, but they weren't like plot plots. This, this I am thrilled about. And I am really hoping that it pays off. (laughs) I like the way this season ends. So I'm hoping you like the way the season ends. Cool. Um, It's definitely, obviously, they've... They haven't made a point of the overarching plot at this point just to randomly drop it. Like, this is not going to be the last we see. I don't expect them to drop it Mm. in the same way I didn't expect them to drop Moreau, but Mm. I was ultimately let down by how they Mm. finished Moreau. So I'm really hoping, because I am enjoying this concept way more, Mm -hmm. I'm really hoping that I'm not let down by how they end it. Okay. All right, lovely. Well, next week's episode is called The Cross My Heart Job. What do you think it's about? Okay. I mean, cross my heart, like, it's it's saying, like, it's like a promise, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like, cross my heart and hope to die. Like, you know. I don't know. Cross my heart. Maybe it'll have something to do with, like, one of the romantic pairings we've got this series. Like, we've got, obviously, Nate and Sophie, like, the team finds out about them this episode. So maybe it's a continuation from there. Or maybe it's, like, a Parker Hardison situation. I mean, the concept of a cross could also be, like, X marks the spot kind of thing. Or, honestly, it could be, like, a target. It, you know, so that's a possibility as well. Cross my heart. I don't know. Like, I mean, the immediate thought is like someone making a promise or someone, you know, being like scouts on a kind of thing, you know? So that's kind of where my head's at, but I don't really know how that would fall into a con unless it's something to do with the relationship dynamics in the team. So I I really don't have any thoughts on that actually. Alright, no worries at all. Well, thank you so much for listening to us today. Come back next week for the cross my heart job. 
If you want to get in touch with us at all, you can find us on an incredible number of social media platforms. (laughs) Please come and join us literally anywhere. And if you want to talk to us at all, talk to us about literally anything, but suggested conversation topics do include... Quick reminder about the haikus. I Mm -hmm. am excited about the possibility of haikus. I will endeavour to come up with one if I remember. Do you think McSween has been gotten buffer since last time we saw him? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, like, maybe it's just me. Maybe I just forgot what he looked like because I just turned him into a, like, a little guy in my head yeah. but i don't know he looked different yeah what maybe aquatic animal, costuming maybe what aquatic animal would you nickname yourself after oh don't imply that anyone in our audience would give themselves a nickname jamie <laughs> maybe, maybe you're gonna go by count chocula maybe who knows anyway thank you so much for listening to us today please have a lovely evening afternoon morning night lunch brunch 2 a.m 3 a.m whatever time of the day and or night bye